because he knew that the imminent destruction was coming and they were disobeying God. But even more than that, he was bothered because God gave him the truth to share with them and they were blowing him off. And he felt so sorrowful that he wept for them because he knew what was coming their way. As with many times, the messages that he's given from the Lord, they come with a call, a call to repentance or else. And so he's consistently preaching this message of judgment because of the people's idolatry, because of the people's immoral behavior. And as you can imagine, they weren't liking it. As a matter of fact, it wasn't very well received because, frankly, they were in a really bad place spiritually. And this is what the Lord says about the people. He says in Jeremiah thirty-two, thirty-three, they turned their backs on me and not their faces, though I taught them again and again, and they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their abominable items in the house that bears my name and defiled it. So he's talking about the people here. This is his description. They had stepped away from God. You know, how many times in our life we feel like God's distant, and you know what? He ain't moving. We're going the other way. And that's what they were doing. They were worshiping Baal. They were sacrificing their children to Moloch. Their spiritual condition was one of depravity and evil and wickedness and corruption. They were struggling. And because of that situation, because they were struggling and not a good place spiritually, uh, they didn't want to hear the truth. And they hated Jeremiah for it. And this opened a door for something. This paved the way for something. And that was for false prophets and false teachers to step up. Paved the way for them because it was a heck of a lot easier hearing what you wanted to hear than hearing and dealing with the truth. So false teaching and prophets came into play. Many believed and jumped in with both feet. And they hated Jeremiah because he had the truth. And as for Jeremiah, that, that hatred showed up in many forms. Uh, he was beaten, he was thrown in stocks, he was lowered into a muddy pit, he be- betrayed by his own family, he was abandoned by his friends, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was socially rejected, he was accused of treason, he was under arrest, he was forbidden to go in the temple. Pretty lonely walk. And for approximately 40 years he preached and shared many sermons. Sermons of judgment, and they had little or no effect. Because people were stuck in their sin. They chose their own desires over God's will. And the nation was about to pay a hefty, horrible price at the hands of the Babylonians. So you have Jeremiah, for many years he's sharing these messages. For many years he's crying for the people. For many years he's showing compassion, yet he's frustrated. He's frustrated. 
He's frustrated because he cares. He's frustrated because they refuse to listen, because they won't heed his warning. But he's also frustrated because they are disrespecting the word of the Lord. And we see that frustration show up in chapter 6. And he says this, whom, To whom can I give warning? Who will listen when I speak? Their ears are closed and they cannot hear. They scorn the word of the Lord. They don't want to listen at all. So now I am filled with the Lord's fury. Yes, I am tired of holding it in. I will pour out my fury on children playing in the streets and on gatherings of young men and on husbands and wives and on those old and gray. Their homes will be turned over to their enemies as will their fields and their wives. For I will raise my powerful fist against the people of this land, says the Lord. Judgment's coming. And not only won't they listen, but it's, they're not recognizing the truth. Listen, it's interesting when I was studying this, doing this, delving into scripture, how similar the situation is today. How similar the situation today is, at least and at minimum, with the reaction to the truth by people. Listen, and today, sharing God's word is often scoffed at. People don't want to hear about holiness versus selfishness. People today still live in, if, the, if it feels good, do it. And some even worship a God, they worship Jesus Christ, who have they concocted in their own mind, which allows them to do whatever they want to do. And the sad part is, a lot of times, the people I just talked about are those proclaiming to be Christian. Because it's obvious with the unbelievers, they just think we're nuts. They think we're crazy. They're often immediately offended by the word of God. Is this not so? People are shaking their heads. And sometimes they just plain hate us. So listen, what I'm saying is this. For those sharing the truth in today's day and age, it's the same battle. It's the battle with those who don't believe or won't accept the truth, close their ears and close their hearts. And it's a battle with those who are going down the wrong path and just love their sin more. Until God corrects that direction. Today in our culture, people may not be openly worshiping Baal, but man, we got plenty of idols that are being worshipped. People may not be openly sacrificing their children on the fires of Moloch, but we are certainly sacrificing children on the altar, children on the altar of selfishness and sin with the scalpel. Probably a lot more than they did then. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of this corruption and this wickedness and this evil and these ungodly choices, the Lord is gracious. And he continues to call people to repentance. He continues to offer a way for your sins to be forgiven and to have heaven as a final destination. Because of his work on the cross. And still, unfortunately, as it was then, some people have closed their ears to the truth and their hearts to God's love because they love their sin more. 
And they have a tendency to flock to those who tell them what they want to hear. And this is exactly what Jeremiah did. I mean, excuse me, the religious leaders in Jeremiah's time did. They were not helping the people. Their message had nothing to do with true righteousness. It had the appearance of righteousness. But the Lord says this about them. Chapter 6, verse 13. From least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they're all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds. They give assurance of peace when there isn't any peace. They are ashamed, are they ashamed of their disgusting actions? Not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Therefore, they will lie among the slaughtered. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. In another translation, verse 14, it says this, They dress the wound of my people as though it was not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Obvious here, the religious leaders at that time, they were frauds. They were driven by greed and power. It was all about them. It was not a talking about repentance or following God's way. They weren't even acknowledging the spiritual wound that the people were suffering from. from, And they weren't offering anything of substance to help. And why? Because they did not care. Didn't benefit them. Didn't worry about it. Their eyes were fixed on themselves. And they knew what to say. And what they needed, they knew what to say was whatever the people wanted to hear. They were in this mode. Keep the peace, make a profit. They weren't about to upset the apple cart by saying things that made people agitated. Now listen, (laughs) I know you're going to agree with this one. It's the same today. And it may not be driven by greed, but some Christians, and I'm picking on Christians here, will not biblically address an issue with someone because they don't want to ruffle their feathers. And I, and I, I think that sometimes this is because they mix up worldly peace, which is all about compromise and truce, with godly peace, which never compromises righteousness. Doesn't have to be about power and money. But people want to avoid conflict. The people, the false leaders in that time, the religious leaders, were giving people a, a false sense of peace. And here, an imminent destruction was on the way. And they knew it was coming. They saw it. And they knew Jeremiah was telling the truth, but it wasn't benefiting them. They weren't profiting, profiting from it. If the people thought they were in a good place, everything would continue as it was. They weren't going to create conflict. Now listen. This equates to me with holding someone's hand to the gate of hell because you're afraid to offend them with the truth of the gospel. This also equates to me letting a brother and sister in Christ continue down a path of sin where you know that God may do something drastic in their life and there's going to be suffering and you don't say anything. You don't tell them that there's forgiveness available and that there's always the call to repentance.
Man, we use this word, this phrase too much today. And Bob and I, Bob and I have been cracking up all week because I told him about this part of the sermon. And I'm so guilty of this. And I want you to rebuke me if I say it. Because the more I've tried not to say it, it keeps coming out. And it's this phrase. It's all good. Because listen, so many times it's biblically not. But we use that phrase and someone says and they're making, maybe they want to bring something up they've done and they're not being righteous or they said something that's wrong or they're incorrect about the Bible or they're incorrect in their walk and they say something. And all of a sudden we say, oh, it's all good. It's not all good. And sometimes we miss the opportunity to actually speak into that person's life righteousness. And God has presented that door and we blow it off because we want to avoid conflict and we want to smooth it over so we go, it's all good. You know what that is? We're giving people a pass. We're giving people a pass. Now, I will say, sometimes with God, it's all good. So I can't, you know, it's not a blanket statement for everything. But that's not how I use it. Not all the time. We should be careful not to enable individuals to remain disabled. Why are we afraid, and we shouldn't be afraid, of operating in God's truth? Why today, especially in our culture and our society, are we afraid to call sin, sin? We should, definitely should not be afraid to remind people that there's forgiveness in available repentance. Amen. I'm going to say something here. This fear of calling sin, sin, this fear of following God's word in this, the minutest detail, this fear of upsetting the apple cart with somebody because you want to be liked. You know what it does? It hinders our walk with God. It hinders walking in the power of God. If God can't trust you in those things, how is he going to trust you in the larger things? It's just something to consider because, listen, we are the body of Christ. What one of us does affects the others. There's no way around that. And I have to believe that God has placed you here. It's clear in Jeremiah's day that those leaders, they were greedy. They were not about producing righteousness. They were about producing profits. And they really didn't give God credit for provision either. And probably were in such a mind that they thought maybe they were responsible for producing the profits. The way they handled things, the way they did things. They did whatever they needed to do to make people feel good with no regard to severity of the spiritual wound that was going on or the consequences that were going to come. The people were bleeding out and they were putting a band-aid on it and sending them on, sending them over. Go over there. Why? They didn't care. It wasn't about them. I guess I can go here too because in this country, when we're talking about, and this is specifically talking about religious leaders, in this country we have our own share. We have our own share of religious leaders, of false prophets, of watered down churches who preach that God will supply all your desires. 
that God only wants to keep you happy. They never preach repentance because it's too hard on folks. They never preach follow the word of God because it's actually the word of God because that would just be too difficult for people to do in this day and age. They always follow up with this day and age. (laughs) Who said that? At the end of service, please, please, three or four people surround Nate and pray for him. (laughs) Listen, for some, it has become about money, and we know that. We've seen some of the mega churches, they say whatever they can. You know why? Because it all becomes all about dollars per seat. And they just want to fill the seats. And that becomes the central focus. (laughs) I'm going to share this verse. It's, you've heard it before, but it's pretty relevant. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And the people who do that, tell them what they want to hear, and the leaders from back then, they had no guilt. They had no shame. They had no shame. Why? Because they are driven, really, by the pit of hell. They were so far from feeling guilt and shame that the Bible just says they didn't even know how to blush, which is the beginning of it. It was not part of the equation for them. They had depraved blinders on and only considered what was good for them. They are treating mortal wounds like scratches. They could have warned people of the impending judgment, but they chose not to. They could have called people back to repentance, but they chose not to. They are saying just the opposite, nothing to fear. They are telling people that it's all good. And they're going to suffer for it. And then they band-aid them with lies and denial. Your stance was, don't worry about it. This is how God views here and describes the people in Jeremiah 5.21. He says, hear this, you foolish and senseless people. You have eyes but do not see. You have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should you not tremble in my presence? And that says a mouthful about where they were at. And where they were at sets the stage for receiving lies. Where they were at set the stage for following their own desires. Why? They had forgotten who God was. They had forgotten that he's the creator of everything. They had stopped fearing him. They had stopped trembling in his presence. They stopped trembling before his holiness. They were no longer revering him as he deserved to be worshipped and revered. Truly believe this is an attitude that has seeped into the church today. And it often manifests itself in this one word, tolerance. We should be careful that we don't fall into the don't worry about it when there's sin. 
Because we frankly, we have a God who should be feared and revered. And I couldn't get this out of my mind because I'm doing this and I just just struck me that, you know, not just for the church today, but for New Hope Chapel. That question that he posed to them is relevant for us right now. Should you not fear me? Come on now and let's be honest here. If I say to you who Jesus is, a lot of people is going to be, he's my friend. Jesus would never do anything wrong. Jesus has got my back. And listen, that's all true. But Jesus is also holy. (laughs) Jesus is also holy. He's also righteous. And he wants us to do godly things. Would it be wise for us as followers of Christ to remember who we are in him and to remember who he is? Because that attitude of complacency concerning the reverence, the reverence for the creator of the universe can be a trap that if it goes unchecked, it just seeps into all different places. And before you know it, sins being tolerated. Marriages are falling apart. Life is just bumpy. We're not walking in the power of God. We're checking the bot. We don't want to go there. And a great defense in this case is a good offense in Jesus Christ, in the Lord, in the word, in the spiritual armor of God, in fellowship, in watching out for one another, in pouring the love out from that Christ has poured into us to each other. Probably good to be reminded. And we do this when we take communion, that he is our savior. We know that, right? And that he is coming back. But sometimes, and listen, we have to do this. He is the Lord. But we use that so much time, it's like the billboard and the highway that you really don't see what it's saying anymore. Because when we're saying the Lord, maybe I should sub in this term. He is our savior and our master. What does that bring up in your mind? He is our master. Master means we need to obey him, right? We need to follow the word of God. We need to do what we need to do. When we say he's our savior and our Lord, and then we turn around and do what we want. What's up with that? He's not just our friend, although he is. He's also a holy God who cares about his children. The people of Judah, their view of God was skewed by their selfishness. And then on top of that was encouraged by those leading them. God wants us to make righteous choices. Wants us to go in a godly direction. He wants us to walk in his power. He wants to have the joy of the Lord in what we do. And in verse 16... He tells us what to do. He's telling them what to do. And in verse 16, he's clear about the benefit of obedience here. In, in verse six, chapter 6, 16, he says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find the rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road I want or we want. Man, this is not rocket science. It's not. 
There's not this huge formula to have the joy of the Lord. It's not. What does he say? He says, and this is something so pertinent to us today, because we go so fast that we blow by what God wants us to do, and we miss out. Why? Because we want that. We want that. So we go right through. And sometimes, even if we think it's a Christian thing and we're working for God, I need to get to that back corner. Get out of my way! And we kill everybody in the way there. And we're moving past what God wants us to do. And we're like, Lord, hurry up. How many times do people do this? They, they go to a church that's flashy and they got all these cool things going on and these new wave videos and five bands and you choose your music and which room you want to go into and you're missing where God wants to use you. What does he say here? It's simple. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Why? Because at those crossroads are going to be all these different paths. And which one is selfish? Which one is benefiting you? And which one does God want you on? You have to take time to discern that. You have to take time to let God speak to you. Because that's the path he wants you on. And he says when you get there and you finally realize which one's God's way, choose the old way, which is the godly way. And then he says simply walk in it. Walk on that path. Jump on that path. Sometimes we find a path and we're waiting for God to give us our fifth confirmation so we have to know that we have to be on this path. Come on! This is the cool thing. and I I, I like this verse because it's so simple. It's very simple. And it says, travel his path and you will find rest for your souls. Man, I don't know how many times preaching, teaching, sharing, evangelizing, we always end up here. We're at a crossroads. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're at a crossroad to accept him as Lord and Savior. If you do know Jesus Christ, you're at a crossroad to make godly decisions. It's always about choice. And he's clear. He's not going to force anyone to go in any certain direction. But he wants us to pay attention. And he wants us to walk in a path. And the benefit of that is biblical rest. Now, I put some things about biblical rest because it's, it's interesting here. And it's, we want to separate that from what the culture and society considers rest. Biblical rest is having a calmness of mind coming from God's truth. It's the assurance of divine forgiveness in our relationship with Christ. In the Greek... Excuse me. It means intermission, sensation of laboring. It is having peace. It is a theme that is repeated throughout Scripture. It's resting in the Lord. It's trusting in Him that He's going to take care of everything. It's handing over the reins to Him. For the Christians, it's our souls being content in Jesus Christ. That's biblical rest. And that comes from following God's path. That comes from going to those crossroads discerning God's path, and then just walking on it and trusting in him. The opposite side of that coin is when you don't, there's chaos. When you don't, there's anxiety. When you don't, there's worry. When you don't, there's the need to control.
For Judah, they didn't want it. And he says in that verse, but you say you don't, you don't want it. That's not the path for me. And they were going to deal with a lot of chaos, and they were going to deal with a lot of suffering and a lot of death. And then he goes on to say them, and even, you know, he tells them this. I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. Listen, there are going to be those people who are bringers of God's truth. There are going to be those people who step into your life and they're talking about the righteous way. And it may be someone who's trying to give you the truth to call you back to a path. It's going to be those people that step into your life that are sent by God. They are divine appointments like they were here with Jeremiah and you're going to ignore them or you shouldn't ignore them or people do ignore them. And why does he allow that? Because he wants people to come back to him. He wants people to repent. He wants people to live a joyous life. You see, the enemy's got a foothold in some people. And here's the deal. For some reason in their mind, in their mind, they can't see the joy that can come from the Lord if they follow his ways. And guess what? It's called walking in faith. They feel like whatever they're scratching that itch, whatever desires they're in, whatever sin that's, that's making them feel good or if it feels good, do it. They feel like that's, that's going to be better than anything that God can supply. If that's not the enemy, I don't know who is. Lord sent them prophets, they wouldn't listen. And then he goes on and says, Therefore, listen to this, all you nations. Take note of my people's situation. Listen, all the earth. I will bring disaster on my people. It is the fruit of their own schemes. Because they refused to listen to me, they rejected my word. Because of their pride, because of the rejection of God's word, they were going to face disaster. It even gets better because, and I think you'll agree with this too, is that in the middle of doing the wrong things, some of them, is, at least some of them, are still worshiping. In the middle of doing the wrong things, they're still giving offerings to God. And Jeremiah 6.20 says, There's no use in offering me sweet frankincense from Sheba. Keep your fragrant calamus imported from distant lands. I will not accept your burnt offerings. Your offering, your sacrifices have no pleasing aroma to me. These names he uses, he's referring to the quality of the offering. This is the best of the best of the best offering they could possibly give to God. And he's saying, eh, it doesn't mean anything to me. Why? Because there's a heart problem. There's disobedience and there's a heart condition. And it didn't matter what they were offering because the Lord sees everything. The people of Judah, they were in total denial. And they were denying the severity of their wound. They were denying how unrighteous things really were. They had lost reverence for God. They were spiritually not discerning and opening doors for the enemy to get foothold with them through teaching and otherwise. They had forgotten that the Lord sees everything. And to worship with a heart problem is not worshiping. To worship with the right hand and to give an offering with the right hand while the left hand is sinning is not worshiping. 
He sees what it is. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Do one more song. I really believe that individually and as the body of Christ, that we are at a crossroads. I really believe that. I think we need to slow down and we need to look at which path is godly and which is not. And we need to heed heed. heed the word of God and we need to choose the godly path because if you want rest for your souls, if you want the joy of the Lord in your life, if you want rest in your marriages, rest in your household, peace in your life, and I'm talking about godly peace, Maybe we can even go further. Maybe this is a hindering to healing. Maybe this is a hindering to those answers and those prayers that you've been sending up. Maybe we need to revisit where we're at and what path we're on. The first part of this is to slow down. To approach God and to say, where do you want me? I'm yours. And to do that, We have to have a reverent view of who he is, don't we? So as they pray this song, as they pray this song, hey, amen, pray this song. That's a good thing. I like it. I'm going to ask, the altars are open. Please come up here and seek what God has wants you to do. It's up between you and God, not between you and me. But I'm also going to ask, if anyone's in their seats and they need prayer, please raise your hand so some of us can come and pray for you. Because I feel the need for some people to be prayed for. Let's worship the King. Spirit and truth with reverence. Amen.